0: Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC.
1: Let's go to the brand of Moving and Storage Hotline. A guy will be very clued in to the Major League Baseball draft. I'm sure has been for some time. Probably a lot of pre-work that goes into this. I'm guessing they don't just show up and just wing it. Derek Broniker, <laughs> longtime uh, MLB agent joining us on the hotline. Derek, welcome. What's going on?
0: Hey, good morning, guys. How are oh, you? Oh, gosh. I'm doing well, thank you. I'm actually just leaving Cape Cod, but 72 degrees, mm. no humidity, kind of weathers of, uh, of this area to jump off plane and get to Atlanta to see one of our majorly clients pitch tonight. So going uh, going from the utopia of Cape Cod <laughs> down to the you know <laughs> the, the dire heat of Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah,
1: I was gonna say, don't but come I'll, back yeah. here anytime soon if you can You're help right. it. Yeah. Right. So give us, we're great. We're great. We're excited. I mean, it's been, you know, we, we're kind of in our doldrums from a sports radio standpoint, but we're starting to get some good things coming up here, like the draft and the Open Championship and SEC Media Days next week. So starting to pick up, but we've been, I mean, I think more clued in probably more than ever before on Arkansas with the way the baseball program has grown and now talking about the potential for the next level. Of course, Andrew Benintendi, a former Razorback, making his first All-Star game this year. And it's great to see those guys develop over time. And he was a, you know, pretty much a can't miss guy, or at least we thought. So, you know, we we'll start looking ahead now at, uh, at these guys and, and there's a number of Arkansas Razorbacks who are expected to hear their names called in the, in the draft. I'm curious from your perspective, like what goes into this last week leading up to that first pick being taken on Sunday?
0: Yeah, certainly, uh, obviously there's a groundswell of support for the Razorback baseball program, just based on the success and, uh, you know the kind of the continued success and the growing expectations from one year to the next with that program and what what Coach Van Horn has done there. But uh, it's good to, good for the state and it's good for youth baseball in our state to you know have these guys to, to look up to and aspire to be Razorbacks. It's always been the case, but I think more so now than ever. And so um, that's kind of carried over to the, to the development at the lower levels, which is a great thing for for everybody in our state. But as far as the draft is, the preparation. Yeah, there, there should be a handful of guys up there uh, that hear their names called sometime between Sunday and Tuesday, and so it'll be exciting to see kind of how that all unfolds. But um, I think, as much as anything, just a lot of really good kids up there that uh, you know go out and represent the program well in the professional ranks and represent our state well. And and yes, Andrew Benintendi is certainly a case of uh, that one of those guys that just. Continued to evolve as a as a major league player. Obviously, was a great Razorback, and um, has had some ups and downs at the major league level. But is being rewarded with his uh, All Star nominate, or his, uh, his, his voting in the All Star game. So it would be fun to watch him play next Tuesday and kind of go from there. But the preparation for the draft is, you know, it's a lot like it is in, in the other sports. But I think the difference is that. Obviously, they're just a, a, a larger talent pool to draw from in Major League Baseball, with high school players being eligible for the draft, uh, as well as junior college players and you know the, the third-year player at four-year school. So, dynamics are quite a bit different. There's a ton of just dialogue that goes on between you know the advisors and the clubs leading up to the draft, and certainly the clubs and the players. So, things. So, just a ton of due diligence that goes into this process, and the way the draft is constructed and bonus, the way bonus pools are are uh, required to be used, the kind of funding mechanism that's different than football and basketball makes baseball's draft you know, more unique, certainly, in a lot of ways. But it's growing in popularity. They're doing what they can, trying to move it to the middle of the summer in conjunction with the All-Star Games. In theory, bringing more fanfare to it and bringing it a little bit more in the public eye, whether that's actual, you know, um, I guess truth will that'll, that'll, you know determine that over time, but um, the idea is that by moving it to you know the, the weekend of the All Star Game, that it does bring a little bit more national attention, media attention to it, and so um, it's probably a good thing for the fan base and for the game itself. Coach Van Horn went off last week, Derek, about the draft and the timing of the draft. And I mean, I, I really haven't heard him that mad in a long time. And he was like, nobody cares. Nobody yeah. uh, nobody wants this except for the owners. And he uh, they think this is going to get ratings. No, it's not. It, it needs to be three weeks ago. It,
1: it, and I get it. It's putting college coaches in a bad position. W- what do you think about the whole timing of the draft?
0: Yeah, and I would, you know, and I certainly we're in agreement with coach van horn and basically every other college coach in america that the timing is really really difficult for them um and i take it a step further i'm not sure that there's a single owner that is in support of it it's really this is the the commissioner's you know it really this is his baby and he's Hmm. the one that has driven this thing we've spent the last six or seven days out here on Cape Cod and you run into a lot of scouts and, and, you know, upper level guys in the game. And certainly with our relationships with club executives, general managers, assistant general managers, presidents of teams, whatever it might be. I don't know that you can find anybody that, that actually likes the drafting in July. Certainly it's unfair to the players. I mean, these kids have been home and happened to kind of mull on this for the last three, or four weeks. While you know, it's just, just really difficult, you know, for them to, to kind of work through this exercise and the anxieties that come along with this and so on and so forth it's difficult on them it's really really challenging for the college coaches because they have absolutely no idea what their team's going to look like you know here we are mid-july and they very well may have to go through another recruiting cycle here for the next 30 days in an effort to you know fill a roster and try to create a omaha caliber team like coach van horn's accustomed to doing and you know add into that the transfer portal and you know, all the NIL stuff, it's just it's it's really, really a challenging time in college baseball for these coaches and administrators and the players and you know, and us as well. It just not ideal for anyone. Um, but this is what the commissioner has determined what he believes to be in the best interest of, you know, of the draft itself. I'm not sure if it's the game, but it's all based on, you know, media and and television ratings and somehow, you know, he's determined that this is what he believes is in the best interest. It's going to take a collective effort on, over you know, between um, upper-level management in Major League Baseball and the operations side, the scouting department's own college to really collaborate and really fight against this in the future if we're ever going to change back. really when it's more often going to
1: happen in Derek, I think you're breaking up a little bit. I hope we may have to call you right back if it doesn't clean up. We're talking to Derek Broniker, Major League Baseball. Uh, uh, agent, and you—you you already alluded this a little bit with the bonus pool, but you know, and Wes and I have talked about this a lot over the last couple of years. But slot versus um, money, and again, that you know, just because you're taking higher doesn't necessarily mean you know there's a there's a pecking order. I guess there's a, there's a uniqueness to it. And from an agent standpoint, I think it's got to be you know a little more challenging because you got to get a little more creative probably than maybe uh, agents in some of their sports. Not that those jobs aren't hard too, uh, but could you explain that for us a little bit better? And, and then how you sort of negotiate or, or navigate. That process with uh, the slot position versus the you know the bonus pool and what they want to pay.
0: Yeah, sure. So can you confirm that you can hear me? Better you sound now? good.
1: Yeah, that's better. Thanks. Okay, great. Okay.
0: Um, yeah. So the difference in baseball and the other sports is that each team is allocated a certain allotment or a pool, so to speak, that applies to the first ten rounds, um, and essentially the the pecking order is the team that. Finishes with the worst record in the previous season is the team that picks first in the following draft in the subsequent draft, and so in this case it's the Baltimore Orioles again this year, and um, and then the team that you know finishes with the best record finish they they pick last, and so that's not unique to baseball, but what is unique to baseball is that they put a pick value on every pick um, within the first ten rounds, and that the the, the value of those picks comprises the uh, the total draft pool for each individual team so so the team that picks first if, we'll, if the first pick is allocated a value of say eight and a half million dollars um and that team picks first in each round for the 10 rounds of the draft then you know it makes sense that 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 va- the value of their pick would be in excess of everybody else's pick values you know with each respective round. so to give you an idea, the disparity between the Baltimore Orioles and, say, the Los Angeles Dodgers this year—if the Orioles have eighteen and a half million dollars to spend in the entire draft, the Los Angeles Dodgers have roughly four and a half million dollars to spend on an entire draft. Hmm. So there's a huge disparity between, you know, the the draft pools, and then teams have the ability to allocate that money however they choose, um, with the exception if they don't sign a player. So let's say the Second pick, or the the, the, the Oriole second pick, would have, let's say, two million dollars draft value. If they don't sign that player with that two million dollars, or a number whether it's below or above that, they just lose that entire allocation. So that two million dollars goes away, and they can't reallocate that to another player. Right. But if they spend a million and a half on them and save a half million dollars, they can reallocate that money to another, you know, say a later pick in an effort to Overpay a particular player, and oftentimes that applies to high school players that they pick a little bit later in the draft, and then they will, you know, uh, they'll negotiate an above slot bonus for that player, and so overpay him, quote unquote, with the money that they've saved from another pick. So, but again, if you don't use it, then you lose it, and it is unique to to baseball in the manner that that operates.
1: So, if it's, I mean, this is an extreme case, but if I spent a dollar on your position, and it was a two million dollar allotted slot. I'd get the rest of that money to use elsewhere. Correct. Okay,
0: interesting. But if you spend, but if you don't sign the player, that full two million dollars right. is just you're unable to spend that, so mm-hmm. you lose it all together. How
1: does how do you how do they spend that? I mean, if you're an agent representing a player, how do you how do you balance the you know the ability to make a, a huge chunk of money versus not getting your full slot value?
0: You know, a lot of us just understand in the marketplace and relationships that you have with club executives that you negotiate these deals with. Um, The reality of it is in baseball, most of these deals are negotiated and agreed upon before the team ever selects the player. They have to know what kind of money they're committing to each individual player, therefore what kind of money they have remaining in the pool. That dictates how they conduct their draft the rest of the way. So it is, it's it's more art than science, quite frankly, but there is very much a science. We go Mm -hmm. through the process and have Steven Young there in the office in Little Rock with me every day that tracks this thing with every single pick we we have a really strong pulse of exactly where each team stands after they've made a selection and then you know we utilize this contacts and the information that we have access to that you know it's certainly not unique to us but we're, we're one of the few agencies in the industry that we think have the insight you know kind of in the intel into the spendings of each individual club and we have the ability to then you know kind of formulate our plan and how we're going to represent our clients and negotiate on their behalf based on that information.
1: Gotcha. Derek Broniker joining us on the Brandon Moving and Storage Hotline MLB agent. Um, I want to ask you about a guy specifically, but also kind of expand that out to other guys you've had experience with in the past. I'm talking about Paulette. He, in the ESPN mock draft that I saw, was the highest-picked Razorback, or they were expecting him to go the highest among the Razorbacks. When a guy's coming off Tommy John, uh, even a guy as highly thought of as him, how much does that impact potentially his draftability or where he's taken?
0: It certainly has an impact uh, compared to had he gone out and pitched a full healthy season and produced at a level that I think the industry expected him to. But, look, it's not the death sentence that it once was. You know, the fact of the matter is it does have, you know, some effect on values for players, but teams have the ability now, and we've seen it time and time again, that they'll still draft elite talent with, particularly that injury the elbow injury that he sustained and the subsequent surgery um that the recovery rate is extremely high its about 94 percent on guys that have the ucl reconstruction or what is known as tom and john surgery and so um but you know, look he had a chance to pitch himself up draft boards and in turn you know probably a higher bonus by having a full healthy productive season but that didn't happen but he's still going to find himself in a good position and he's going to uh You know, he's going to have the opportunity to get out and get his career started. And Caden Wallace is the other, you know, extremely high profile player up there that should be probably a day one selection as well. So, and then, of course, Robert Moore is kind of the third of that group that a little bit uncertain where he goes in the draft, but still a guy that, you know, I would expect to have a long, successful major league career.
1: With the supplemental picks, how many first round picks or day one picks are there?
0: I think there's 80 total okay. this year. So it's the first two rounds plus the supplemental rounds in the second. So I think it puts it right at a total of 80 picks in day one. Gotcha. Who all are you representing this year? You know what? We don't really speak about that publicly. Um, so that's something that, I mean, for obvious purposes, just the NCAA no, I'm still, although they provided clearance for a- athletes to have representation through this process, is just something that we – you know, kind of, we don't reveal publicly, just you know, out of respect to universities and the NCAA and the players that we represent. Let me. Ask, but we'll have a nice draft class.
1: <laughs> What's new? <laughs> let, let me ask you about a guy specifically, and again, kind of extrapolate this out to a larger group. With Robert Moore, a guy that you know, again, talent's off the chart defensively. He's shown some, you know, some impressive moments at the plate over his career, but didn't have a particularly good year offensively this year. Typically, what's that look like on you know, in the draftability standpoint? Because obviously, the potential's there, but the, the offensive numbers and pr- productivity weren't there this year.
0: Right? Yeah, there was some regression in his performance this year that I think surprised everybody. Um, you never know, you know, the variables and you know, they kind of go into you know. But we saw it with Casey Martin a couple of years ago as well, and it wound up working out fine for him. Um, but it, it's similar. Similar situation. That's a super high-profile guy that everybody, you know, kind of expected kind of superstar-level production. And when that didn't happen, then leaves you scratching your head a little bit and not really certain. And look, the scouting community feels the same way. It's like, you know, he's a guy that everybody just anticipated was going to come there and have you know an All-American type season and. He didn't perform offensively at the level that everybody has come to, to expect, but on the defensive side, the great thing, but what makes that kid so unique is that, you know, it, it never seemed to affect the way he approached the game as a whole. On a defensive side, his defensive game was probably the best of anybody in college baseball, probably the best second baseman we ever see in Razorback history from a defensive standpoint. Um, and then he's got all the intangibles that clubs look for. It doesn't hurt that he grew up in a Major league clubhouse. And he's been around Major league baseball his entire life. Comes from an unbelievable family. His dad's one of the most respected executives in the game. And and so Robert's carried that over. And so, you know, he checks a lot of the boxes. He just didn't perform offensively like everybody anticipated this year. And so he's. I'm just, I know clubs are going to give him a lot of discussion in the draft room just to you know, what can they expect? Whether he's an impact player at the major league level or not, time will tell, but he's going to be a big leaguer in some capacity, whether it's a utility guy or, you know, everyday second base in the middle of the diamond guy who knows. But he's a guy that you still bet on even, you know, though there was some downturn in performance. He's just he's an elite character guy. He's an elite defender. He's an elite athlete. He's an, You know, he's a leader. He's just everything you're looking for. So I suspect he'll go probably a little bit higher than people think at the moment, just based on his spring performance, but um, I don't necessarily think he's going to be the first-round pick that people thought he was going to be coming into the year. Are the Royals in a tough position with him? You know, you would think so, but I, I just, I don't think under any circumstance they draft him. I just, just knowing Dayton more, and, you know, I just, I would be very surprised if they, you know, if he if put his son in that situation. I just would be, you know. I mean, there's human element to all this as well, and I just think for him, it's there's 29 other clubs. The chances of them drafting him, you know, are one in 30. And um, I just think with the other. Just, again, that's just nothing but more nothing more than just a suspicion on my part. But I, w- I would suspect that you know they would respectfully kind of allow him to enter his career as a uh, some one of the other 29 teams mm-hmm. as
1: opposed to them. Yeah. We trust your gut, Derek. In these cases, yeah. we could probably talk to you for another hour, <laughs> yeah. but I'm sure you have other things to do, and we've got to hit a uh, commercial break here, unfortunately. So, uh, but I appreciate the time a ton, man. I know it's a busy week for you, and uh, hopefully, we can catch up after the draft too, and kind of get a re- go no, Go faster, sh- <laughs> Derek, Derek. I know you made plenty of money, but you don't have to pay for that one. Don't outrun the cops. Just pay pay your ticket. It's fine. Uh, he's apparently in a hurry. You do, are yeah. you in a hurry to get out of that great weather at Cape Cod? What are you doing, man? Anyway, just in a hurry to
0: try to get to the airport. Yeah, you should drive as slowly as possible. Navigating Boston traffic isn't the easiest thing, too, even on a even on a
1: Tuesday morning. Yeah. Well, man, safe travels. We appreciate the time. We'll talk to you later. Okay. All right. See great you. Stuff. Thank you, guys. Yeah, you bet. Thank you, Derek Broniker.